Hello and welcome to the Flex. This is Matt St. G and here alongside Joe. We you know it's been a couple of days since you heard from us. We uh, we took a couple of days off. We were up in Rhode Island, up in Providence to see the Friars take on and defeat the hated URI Rams. I mean, I want to get into some of the analytics, but first I want to open with this. How great was that atmosphere at the dunk on Saturday? Uh, it was oh, so, so, so nice. Um, so for context, I, I was sitting um, with my uncle and he is a season ticket holder like me. And this was the first time that he had ever been to a Providence URI game because the last time we hosted was December of 2018. So for someone who he he held season tickets in the 2019-2020 season, obviously last season there was nothing in person. He didn't understand the the gravity of this game and what it meant to PC fans. So I warned him before. I was like, you know, this is going to be an intense environment. Like, like it's going to be like Villanova or Connecticut or Marquette, but in the non-conference and maybe plus some. And my God, did, did the did the arena produce? Because that was an electric environment. The student section was fantastic. The the anti-URI sentiment was felt across the board. So the hats off to, to the athletic department for really promoting this one and packing the house. Yeah, no, I showed up down to downtown Providence a little bit early. I wanted to go just walk around and like get some coffee, get a bite to eat before I went to the game. And we parked and walked by the dunk on our way to get coffee. And I mean, this had to have been two hours before a tip. This had to have been just afternoon. And we saw a bus pull up, drop off a, a busload of kids dressed in all black who had clearly uh, been very, uh, very prepared for the game. Lubricated. They had a lot of liquid preparation and were energized and ready to go. <laughs> and that was the moment you just walked by that. And I was like, all right, the students are going to be out for this one. And oh, boy, they were. I forgot just how loud that building gets, how loud the music is in there. I mean, years of being there with the headphones on kind of changes your perception of uh, what it's like. But it was fun to just be there as a fan and get to take everything in. Good light show beforehand and at halftime. Got my $13 tall boy. I was happy. I was back. I, I was definitely happy. I was happier that I could sit back and enjoy this game um, with my $13 tall boys because in the past I haven't been able to. I was an intern for the athletic department or I was on the mic with you. So there was really no opportunity for me to, to kind of sit back and really have a drink during the game. And I sure as hell did that. So, Yeah, that was a good one. Let's talk about the actual action on the floor. Friars now sitting at eight and one on the season. They beat URI to win their third in a row. Took it sixty-six to fifty-two. It was a pretty—I don't want to say the lopsided, but the Friars were in control for the vast majority of that game. So, my first question for you, Joe, is: What did we learn about this Friars team on Saturday? I think to to sum it up in one word is depth, uh, and I think this is. Uh, a learning that we learned against URI and against Texas Tech combined because both teams double team Nate Watson and that was a choice that they made defensively but because Watson is such a force and he's such a presence he draws that attention and it basically opens the door for Ed Croswell to come in and have two back-to-back games in the post-game press conference Ed Cooley said if Ed Croswell doesn't play against Texas Tech and if he doesn't play against URI 
Providence loses both of those games, and he's absolutely correct. And that's not to discredit any of the other players on the floor because I think Horkler and Durham had great games too. But if Ed Croswell doesn't play, you're looking at a much different game. Yeah, the way that he has come out for this team in the last week is remarkable. And I like what you said about depth. I think that is the among it's one of a couple defining differences between the 2021 Friars and the 2020 Friars depth and veteran leadership. I think this team has an ability to adjust that we did not see last year. But I mean, Ed Croswell, he played more minutes than Nate Watson. Who would have said that going into that game? It was just before the Texas Tech game that you were saying Nate Watson's a sure thing. He's not even the X factor anymore. Yeah, then Ed Groswell steps up. And this is, I think, as much as we could have hoped for from him when Ed Cooley brought him over from LaSalle. Great, great, great performance. His quickness down low is noticeable. He's, he gives you shades of Emmett Holt with the way he's able to rebound and throw his body around down low, even though he's a little yeah. bit shorter. And, I mean, that was the, the key for the Friars in that game. Then key shots... Uh, shots at great times, hitting threes. Al Durham, another great performance. So, lots of good stuff. Al Durham, that's your Big East player of the week right there. Again, yeah. talk about exceeding expectations. Who would have, who would have called that a couple months ago? Yeah, yeah I, I mean, Durham and Crosswell are the headliners of this week. Um, I think nationally, Durham is getting more respect just because of volume and scoring. But I, I think if you look at impact, too, you, you can't not mention Nate Watson because you talk, look, the stat sheet shows seven points against URI, but what the stat sheet doesn't show is, okay, you put him on the floor. He draws a lot of attention from bigs down low and he opens the, the, the door for opportunities for other players to step up. So even mm-hmm. when he's not producing offensively, he's still an important piece that you need. Like you don't win that game without him either. You know what I'm saying? Like, just because he exactly. didn't score in double figures doesn't mean that he didn't have a meaningful impact. Uh, so I think it should go without saying that he was an important piece as well. And he will be going forward because at some point teams are going to adjust and they're going to say, all right, we're going to make sure that Croswell is not going to do it. And it'll come back to Watson or it'll come around and, and Reeves will have one of those 30 point games or Horkler will have a 30 point game or Durham will do it again. That's the key with this team right now. There's a lot of different guys that can score. And I think that the downside is the game against Virginia. That's one of those nights. And I'm credit to Virginia's defense, but there's enough unproven guys for the Friars that sometimes you're going to have a night where just nobody's on. Nobody's hitting the shots. But yeah, you go against your rival down up down your star point guard and you have backups, backups that are stepping up and transfers that are stepping up. I think that's it says a lot about what Ed Cooley has done with the team, too. Yeah, talk about down your point guard. Credit Al Durham for slotting into the point guard position and even to um, Alan Breed because typically Breed's, you know, since Durham has been added to the roster, with obviously when Bynum is healthy, Breed really plays more of a shooting guard, more of the two off the ball guard. Um, and he, there are even some moments when Durham was on the bench against URI when Breed had to, to take up the point guard duty. So credit to to Breed, but also especially credit to Durham for, for picking up the slack in Jared Bynum's absence. Obviously, you know, we hope Bynum gets back soon, and we're glad that these two guys ha- can f- fill that role nicely. But you got to give them credit because that's not a, a tough pill to swallow is that you have to handle the ball handling duties as well as your traditional scoring. And we've seen guys 
really struggle trying to do both before for the Friars. I mean, hey, you go back to the Chris Dunn years. For as good as Chris Dunn was, he really got unlocked when Kyron Cartwright came in as the primary ball handler and Dunn could work off the ball and be a little bit more of a shooter and do a handful of different things. that It freed him up to do more. So I'm sure when Bynum gets back, it's going to allow Durham to get back to doing more of that stuff. But he has not shied away from this role at all. And I, I again, I don't think you can say enough about Ed Cooley and kind of handpicking these guys to bring in. It's not easy to have guys come in and all buy into the system at the same time, all coming from different areas. Number of transfers on this team, but he got the guys that he wanted. It's a team sport, and they don't necessarily have the guy. I think they have a lot of guys that can be the guy. But they don't have the the superstar that some of these other top teams are going to have or some of these top-tier recruits. They get it done just by playing solid basketball together. A lot of that's been at the defensive end, too. I mean, they held yeah. Rhode Island to 52 points. Texas Tech, a good Texas Tech team, to 68. This defense has played well this year. Yeah, I think defensively these guys are dialed in. And I, I, I've said this countless, countless times on the podcast that – when you play good defense, it translates to better offense. And I think that's the story of this URI game is we were sound defensively. You know, I, I think when you're playing your in-state rival, there's an extra, you know, oomph on defense. Like you you want to make some points, especially when, you know, there's a lot going on on Twitter about recruits and where <laughs> certain a certain pair of recruits ended up. And, you know, there's someone mouthing off about a player on your team. And I, I just think this was a big exclamation point statement victory piece like to to take it to uri who, who especially since we curved them last year the fans have been extremely vocal so this was definitely a bragging rights game in every sense of the word um but defensively the guys were dialed in i think noah horkler went under the radar as one of the most important players on the floor on saturday uh, again he's Agreed. been coined as the as the glue guy of this team and defensively, you know, even on offense, four three-pointers. Like, that is going under the radar with respect to Durham and and Croswell, but we can't forget about Horkler. No, and here we are talking about Durham and Croswell and Watson, and Horkler's the guy that led the team in scoring. Yeah. And I think it it also says a lot about where the expectations have gotten for him from Friar fans. This is no longer noteworthy. It's no longer exceptional. It's just what he does game in game out. He's kind of like you said, he's the glue guy. He makes everything go. And I mean, I can only imagine having Horkler next to Croswell down low. That that helps out Croswell quite a bit, too. I'm still I'm looking at the box score. I can't believe that Croswell had 15 rebounds. It, It didn't even seem like it, too. Like when, no. when when they they when the commentator the the PA announcer said the final stats after the the game was over and he said Croswell had 15 rebounds I was kind of in disbelief like I knew it was a ton but I didn't think 15 that's nuts yeah that's a shocking number that and Horkler hitting four threes those are the two you look at the stat sheet and it's like oh wow that's yeah, yeah. and I mean Reeves didn't have his best day but. I think this was a good game from Reeves. It wasn't perfect. You'd like more, but he gave you more than enough to win. He didn't. He didn't lose you a game. If this wasn't like we've said in a couple episodes in a row now, this is his role on the team. He's kind of that. He's a role player. He's giving you better defense. He's going to play more than half the game. It'll knock down a three or two for you. 
And on his better games, he's going to score you 20, 25, 30 points. And you'll get two or three I of those agree. a season. I agree. And I think it's totally undervalued the energy that is derived from an A.J. Reeves three-pointer, especially like with the student section and the Dunkin' Donuts Center in general. Like the fans go nuts when he hits a three. He's a good looking jump shot. And a lot of times, you know, after he hits the three, there's like a shimmy or there's some sort of like swaggy celebration from him. So I, they're energy shots. So two for eight, that's it's not ideal, but there's there's still good buckets. They get the crowd into it. They get everyone excited. What I will say is I just think that if you want to get him going offensively, you got to give him a look closer to the cup before you start drawing up three pointers for him. Just get his confidence up and then he starts hitting. But I'm not displeased with the way he played. I think he provided valuable minutes, especially, you know, he's playing 30 minutes a game. Like, he's out there for a reason. Yeah. And if you want to go way forward, I know, you know, I'm I'm remembering this off the top of my head here, but there's a spreadsheet of, of a certain number of stats. The teams who do well in March usually have these various factors. It's 12 or 13 factors. And you want to have... If you have like eight or nine of them, you're going to have a real good chance of being a good team in March. And one of them is you need four guys on your team that average at least 10 points a game. Friars have three right now. Reeves is not. He's at 8.6 points a game. He's not that far off from 10. He gets a couple of good games there. He gets you above that. He can kind of be your difference maker. You're not asking him to be the leader. You're asking him to be the cherry on top. Yeah, and I think in seasons past when you ask Reeves to fill this role he typically produces better you, you look mm-hmm. at fre- his freshman year and his junior year you ask him to be one of the lead guys and you know you get some inconsistencies from him you look at his sophomore year where you've got guys like Pipkins Malik White you know Diallo Emmett Holt comes back into the rotation you have guys like that stepping up Reeves kind of falls by the wayside but is averaging double figures so I, I think this is a similar year to Reeves' sophomore year where he might not be in the spotlight, but he's going to he's gonna put up a sneaky 10 a game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that'll be huge for this team down the stretch. I do want to zoom out and go big picture a little bit. Today's Monday. We did learn today that uh, we have the, the initial net rankings come out publicly for the first time, and Friars check in at 37 to start. They're at 53 on Ken Palm as of us recording this. I think you got to be happy with where they sit there. Friars came in at Ken Palm in the 80s, so moved up quite a bit. Did not Friars didn't get any votes in the AP poll today, which I think was a little bit of a surprise, but not totally unwarranted. But you look forward and the next two games for Providence, a, a decent Vermont team, a bad Central Connecticut team, Friars don't have an opportunity to really make noise when it comes to getting into the top 25 until that UConn game on the 18th. So I think the national spotlight, things are going to plateau for about two weeks here. What's your read on the way the Friars are being perceived right now? Um, I would say the net is appropriate. I'm not displeased with that. I think that's fine. Ken Palm, you know, I, I still think that those... Those preseason metrics, the the metrics from last season are still in that formula. So, again, it's not surprising. It's not surprising you don't like being in the 50s, especially when you're eight and one. But again, you live with it. I'm I'm not going to lie. I'm not happy that we didn't receive votes. I know there's a lot of Twitter speculation over what votes mean this early on in the season, blah, blah, all that. It goes. The argument goes both ways. 
I think the bottom line is the the game against Texas Tech says more about Texas Tech than it does about us, and that team still got two votes and we got none. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think for a team that's eight and one with a road win at Wisconsin, a neutral win over Northwestern, and a home win over Texas Tech, who by the way still again receiving two votes i would have at least mm-hmm. liked a couple of votes like i'm not saying throw us in the top 25 I, I don't know if we're at that point yet but at least some sort of recognition like so someone out there saying hey you know pc is doing something the flyers are doing something because it's almost a slight and listen i think the argument is true that this team plays better as underdogs i, I think that's a program trait a, a characteristic of ed cooley teams but some sort of recognition would be nice. And the fact that UConn played two cupcakes in rows in the rankings is a little ridiculous. Like, throw us a bone. Yeah. yeah. And you're on the verge. If you can finish out here with Vermont and Central Connecticut, win both of those games, you're probably going to enter conference play going 10-1 and one in non-conference with five wins, either four or five, depending on how where Vermont ends up. They're at 98 right now wins against top 100 teams and in the the kind of quadrant one your a quality games a three and one record and if you have that kind of resume going into conference play and to not get top 25 votes it's it's tough to have that happen like that's and yeah. it's hard to say it's completely unwarranted because the Friars haven't done anything super spectacular. There's no ranked wins in there. They're not really running any of these great teams out, or and they're not running any of these good teams out of the building. They did lose to Virginia, but man, I mean that's a you got to be getting at least some kind of national recognition in when you're playing in December like that. Yeah. And not to be so doom and gloom because we did just come off of a huge week with two really big, impactful wins. But I, I just think, like, this is a good team. And I think Friar fans, Big East Conference fans know that this is a good team. I just wish that it would translate nationally is all I'm trying to say. You know what I mean? Hey, hey here's the thing. You win that game December 18th at UConn. I have to think you're getting a lot of votes for the top 25 in a hurry after that one. That will be a huge guess, but that's, that's looking ahead here. Let's take a quick look at this Vermont game before we wrap up. Is there anything super obvious that jumps off the scouting report for you or anything you think Providence has to do particularly well Tuesday night against the Catamounts? Um, Yes. So I I think for me, the biggest thing in our, our pre-podcast prep is that this is a undersized Vermont team. Their biggest player is six foot nine, 200 pounds, and he doesn't even really play. So I, I think Matt, and we started to talk about this before recording, but kind of cut it because we wanted it to be organic. Um, mm-hmm. I think if you're Vermont defensively, you have to make the choice. If you want to continue with what Texas tech and URI did, and you want to double Nate Watson, go right ahead. But then you're opening the door for Ed Croswell and Noah Horkler. So I think defensively, Vermont in the paint is is going to find themselves tasked with something extremely difficult. Because, yes, you want to shut down the best center in the country? Go right ahead. But his backup is pretty damn good. So yeah. you really have to, you have to make a decision here if you're the Vermont Catamounts. Yeah, I think now you're absolutely spot on, especially about the size. I mean, the Friars... And this is a lot like the URI game 
it's just Vermont is a little bit worse and they are a more experienced team. They're one of the few teams in basketball that is more experienced than the Friars, which is crazy. Friars are the 11th most experienced. Vermont is the third most. So you have to think of the leadership. Yeah, the leadership, I think, will play a big part for the Friars with all those old guys. This is one of those games. I, I kind of feel the same way I did about the UNH game. Yeah, UNH is a team, uh, they're the, the second best team in the American East behind Vermont right now. It doesn't really matter how you win it. Just get the win. Nobody's, yeah. Nobody in March is going to look at a game against Vermont from December and say, oh, well, they only won it by seven points, and we really wish they would have won that one by 15, so this is why we're keeping them out of the tournament. That's just not what's going to happen. Win the game, get out of there, try not to get injured. You don't have to do anything special, just play your game. Be mature. Yeah, I, I agree. Rule of thumb for this game is a win is a win is a win is a win. I think, Matt, we should, we can expect a, a slow and ugly rock fight game. I mean, it's a, a Tuesday night at 6.30 on the heels of the URI win. Um, finals are coming up for students. I can't imagine the dunk is going to be rocking. Obviously, you would like it to be, but uh, I just I think it's going to be an ugly basketball game. But you're right. It's going to come down to a couple of possessions. It's not going to be some blowout, yeah. especially when you look when you look at the experience factor. And this is a talented yeah. Vermont team, too. It's a very sim. It's going to have a very similar feel to, um, I'll say. I think UNH is a great example. I'll say Fairfield and the first half against Sacred Heart, where it, it it might be a little bit of a back and forth, back and forth slugfest the entire game. Yep. No, and I think like you look ahead that game against Central Connecticut. You want to win that one in style. Central Connecticut is a really bad team. Vermont, they're borderline top one hundred. They're going to have an opportunity to make March Madness. They're probably going to be favored to win the America East and to win that conference tournament and be a, a, 13, a pesky 13 seed come March. So just don't do anything stupid. You got to bring your own energy. It's going to be one of those nights. Play mature basketball. This is a Vermont team that plays slowly, does not turn the ball over, and they're not going to give you extra possessions. So don't shoot yourself in the foot. They're not going to beat you. Just don't beat yourself. Agreed. I, I, I also think this game presents offensively an opportunity for uh, Watson and Reeves to kind of stuff the stat sheet. Because I, I think if this past week has shown us anything uh, with respect to scouting the Friars, it's that when you try to shut down Watson, Crosswell is going to step up. So... If you're planning to go with a double or triple team, you have to be prepared for someone else to to take his role offensively. So, I, again, I'm going to stress this point. I'm so intrigued to see how Vermont's going to scout this. I really am because back-to-back nights, it didn't work when you doubled Watson. So I hope you just you single-team him and, and let him go to work. But I'm really interested it, to see how this plays out. It would not shock me at all either if this is one of those 20 or 25-point Nate Watson games. He kind of took, he didn't take a back seat, but he wasn't the primary guy last week. And I think he's going to be itching to be out there. I think he's probably too much for anybody on Vermont to handle. Agreed. Totally yeah. agreed. Yeah. All right. This game's the 630 early tip Tuesday night at the Dunkin Donuts Center. Friars 8-0 all time against Vermont. They beat UNH from America East earlier this year. Looking to hit 9-1 and to open this season. And hopefully... Get a little bit more. Just announce more national respect after this one. 
we'll definitely have more coverage for you after the game. And we're inching ever closer to conference play, Joe. I can't wait. A game against UConn. I just, I know I'm looking ahead to it. We got to make sure the team isn't. <laughs> I can afford to do it, but I'm not on the court. <laughs> yeah, I, you know me. I, I don't like to play the look ahead game unless it's the game right in front of you. So I'm looking forward to 6:30 tip tomorrow night, and you know, hopefully we'll be nine and one come Wednesday morning. Hopefully we'll get you back after the game. Make sure that you're following us on Twitter at the Flex Hoops. Follow our personal accounts. Join us in our Twitter group chat for up-to-date commentary and thoughts from all the fans we have out there. Make sure that you are subscribed wherever you're listening to this so you can get the newest updates for all of our episodes and be right there with us. We'll get you back after the game. Thank you for listening. Go Friars. Go Friars.